we exist to come alongside people who are hurting, who are broken, who are messed up, to come alongside them and give them love and to give them grace and to give them encouragement until they can rise above it and walk on that path on their own. We are Pathway Church, located in Burleson, Texas. We worship together, we serve together, and we grow together. I want to welcome everyone that's in the house, those that are in the ark, uh, those that are in the sanctuary, true worth, uh, the bridge. Man, we're just so honored. Uh, we still continue to praise. You recovered down at the bridge in true worth from the shootings from a couple of weekends. We know you don't get over violent trauma quickly. We know it, it lingers and it lasts sometimes for a while. So our, our prayers are with you. Our hearts are with you. And uh, thank you for allowing us to be a part of your lives. And those that are on the online community, uh, we have some folks all over the United States that have been connected with us and are taking some actually next steps. We got some exciting news next weekend to share with you uh, that's actually happening in our online community and you'll hear about it next week, but uh, God is really working and moving in some incredible ways. If you are new here and you're in the house, I would love to meet you. I'll be out there in the crossing right across from that area where you can go into the new space. Hope you'll go check it out and don't just check it out. Maybe stop and pray. Uh, kind of be mindful of the one more that someone you're thinking about inviting who would kind of fill a certain spot. Be mindful of that and, and stop and remember them. So I, I would ask you to pray for the workers. They gather here every single morning. They work hard. They, they're here early and they work late. And uh, they're doing a great job. And they're being very faithful in, in using their gifts. So pray over the workers. But, you know, take some time to linger. And if you're a guest, I really would love to meet you. I'm going to invite you to get situated. Get your Bibles there. If you're going to use your Bibles, your, your, ba- your eye will open to Exodus. We're going to go there here in a moment. Get your notes ready. And uh, I want to pray before we dive in here. God, it's just an honor to be in your presence. We thank you, God, for receiving us into this place of worship. And we thank you, God, for how you have used this little place to connect people all over the world, uh, the United States, and in this area through the miracle of technology, but also through this space in which we inhabit, this physical space. And God, we're about to open up your, your Bible, your, your Word, and we don't do it lightly. We know there's power in this book. We know there are words of life and words of truth and words of hope in this book. So, God, we prepare our minds and our hearts and our spirits to receive whatever you would say to each of us. And, God, it is my personal prayer that you would touch and begin to heal some people this morning through the truth and the power of your word. I ask you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. The truth of the matter is this. People's awareness of and memory of what this book actually says is not very good. We get a lot of stuff wrong. I want to tell you about what this book has to say. Pretty inaccurate. If you were to ask the average person, you were to ask them, uh, what was it that Adam and Eve ate in the garden? Uh, there in the opening chapter of the book, what would people say? Apple. Bible doesn't say apple. Bible says fruit. If you were to ask people, most people, tell me, how many wise men are there in the Christmas story? We would say how many? Three. 
The Bible does say there are three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But the Bible never tells us there were three wise men. My grandma Owen, my, my dad's mom, uh, she had this little old house, and she loved to scrub her house. She, loved, she always wanted her house being per- perfectly clean. It was just her and my Uncle Dennard who lived in it. But she cleaned it like 50 people were in and out of it all day, her little bathroom, her little kitchen. And she would say, you know why she's cleaning? Well, you know, the Bible says cleanliness is next to godliness. The Bible doesn't say that. Gallup took a survey of the knowledge of most people who say they have some belief in God and some awareness of this book called the Bible. And they asked him, who were the epistles? And a lot of them thought the epistles were the wives of the apostles. They asked him, tell me, where, where, did, where did Jesus do his most famous TED talk? You know, the Sermon on the Mount? They said on a horse. I'll let that sink in. They thought that Noah was married to Joan of Arc. (laughs) Not in the Bible. This morning, we are beginning a series titled, Bible Didn't Say That. We're going to look at a lot of the ideas and the thoughts and the sayings that you and I, many of us here in this room, worship online, we attribute to God, but God really didn't say that. And we're doing that because of some of these these beliefs and thoughts and ideas that we have about God become a stumbling block, which prevents us from really trusting God and many people from really loving God. So over the course of the next four weeks, uh, we're going to get to know who God is a little bit better. That's my hope, get to know who God is a little bit better. And for some of us, it's going to make it easier for us to really love God, to trust God, and to obey God, not reluctantly, but joyfully. Because we have a better understanding of what he says in this book about some very key, important things. Now, there are some people who think that the Bible says some things that many of us here in this room have bought into, uh, that God will not give you more than, any, than you can handle. And so if you believe that, then you think that anything that happens in your life, you should be able to handle it. You should be able to manage it. But the Bible doesn't say that. There are a lot of things in this life that life gives us that if we're honest, we really don't handle very well and we can't handle very well. Some people say, well, you know, the Bible says that that money is the root of all evil. And if you buy into that, then you think the Bible is anti-money and you're a Christian that you can't be about money at all. And that if you have the spiritual giftedness of making money and being generous and all these sort of things, then you're very low on the spiritual scale. But the Bible doesn't talk about money like that in any way at all, not even close. Some people say, well, you know, well, well, the Bible says everything happens for a reason. Now, if you buy into that, all of a sudden you start putting responsibility upon God that God had nothing to do with, that it was the evil and the sinful things of people in this world and the broken world we have, and you turn away from God and you leave God when things start happening to you that don't make sense to you in your life. Now, this morning, we're going to approach and kind of break apart what I think is one of the most erroneous pieces of fake news that's been a quote that's been associated with God, and this is it. 
that God helps those who help themselves. Not in the Bible. Now, many years ago, when I was in seminary, and we're talking many, many, many years ago, there was a guy who confronted me on me and said, Pastor, that's actually in the Bible. It's in the Bible. And I says, no, it's not. Yes, it is. He says, you want to bet? Now, this is when I was in seminary, which means I had no money. I had zero money. And I really don't bet on anything unless I have control of the outcome. And I had, did I have any money? I had no money. Poor. But I said, I'll take you up on that bet. And so he began to search and search the scriptures for something that wasn't even there. He looked for a long time. Finally, he kind of acknowledged, yep, it's not there. But the Bible says, you can't bet. He's trying to get out of pain. <laughs> I said, no, the Bible doesn't say you can't gamble. He said, yes, it does. He says, I said, I said no, it doesn't. He said, double or nothing. Let's just say this little poor seminary graduate came out pretty good on that little deal, okay? The Bible doesn't say that, that God helps those who help themselves. It actually, it's a saying, it goes back to Esau's, one of Esau's uh, fables, where there's this man driving a wagon. So he's pushing his wagon, he's in his wagon, the wagon gets stuck in the mud. It gets so stuck in the mud, he gets out and he gets on his hands and knees and he raises his hands to the gods and say, would you please help me get my wagon unstuck? Hercules comes down in the fable and Hercules says, the gods only help those who help themselves put your shoulder to the wheel and start pushing. So that saying does go way back in history. You just can't find it in the Bible. Now, the Bible is very clear. God does not expect you and me to be passive. God has given you a mind. God has given you a body. God has given you a will. Your will is your little kingdom. And you are to rule over your little will, your little kingdom. You're in charge of it. And God wants you to take initiative. God wants you and me to take responsibility for our lives. That means faith in God does not mean that I have a free pass if I'm a student, that I don't have to, I don't have to study. I just believe and I'll be okay. It doesn't give me a free pass that I'm not responsible for taking care of this body and exercising and eating right. And I just kind of damn the torpedoes at full speed ahead and God's going to protect me. Doesn't mean that at all. I have responsibility, to, but, but the scripture doesn't say God helps those who help themselves. In fact, really what the Bible says is God's helped those who can't help themselves. In fact, it's precisely in those areas where you can't help yourself is the biggest problem in our lives. Because when you discover, many of us, when you discover you're in a situation where on your strength and your own might, you can't help yourself, here's what happens to most of us. I realize I'm going to resist asking for help. Because asking for help offends my pride. If I ask for help, I'm going to feel weak. I'm going to feel incompetent. Somebody's going to think less of me if I say I need help. And the biggest problem in most of our lives is when we need help. And we don't ask for it and we don't get it. 
And all of a sudden, a little bitty problem becomes into a big, big crisis when you don't get help. All of a sudden, a little issue like procrastination turns into unemployment. All of a sudden, a little bad habit turns into an addiction. All of a sudden, a little sarcasm, you know, you're just sarcastic. That's just how I am. I'm sarcastic. Turns into you not having any friends or anybody who wants to be around you. All of a sudden, the problem of flirtation becomes an affair. Little bitty things that you laugh off and you make no big deal about grow and flourish because you don't get help and cause a whole bunch of problems for you and everybody else around you. Here's the truth about me. It's a deep truth about me. I need help. In a lot of areas of my life, I need help. And I'm going to tell you a little secret about you, just in case you don't know. You need help, too. Some of you have been waiting for this moment in church most of your life. I want you to turn to the neighbor next to you, the person you came with, or the person you brought, and just look at him and say, you need help. <laughs> yeah. Finally, I get to tell them. Finally, they know, right? We all need help. Who does God help in his book? We understand here in this little story, this whole relationship that God has with the people of God begins with this single word. Over in Exodus chapter 2, Israel had been found themselves in slavery and bondage in Egypt, and they're all just beat down, and they're all just sick and tired, the people of God. And we're told in Exodus chapter 2, verse 23, a long period, the king of Egypt died, and then the Israelites groaned in their slavery, and they cried out, and their cry for what? Help. Because of their slavery went up to God. Now, I want you to notice what God does here when they say help. Look at verse 25. God looked on the Israelites, and God was concerned about them. God didn't say, you need to suck it up, buttercup. God didn't say, you need to get organized. You need to fix it. The Scripture says God was concerned. And God helped. Who does God help? In your notes, number one, God helps people who ask for help. God helps people who are needy. God helps people who are weak. God helps people who are scarred. God helps people who are in over their head. God loves to help. God loves to help so much. Sometimes God helps people who don't even ask. God just shows up and starts helping. Jesus himself said, hey, I want you to know this about my father. He helps people who don't even deserve help. He says, the sun shines on those who behave and those who misbehave. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. If you're going to look through this book, find one word that's going to describe who God is. 
He is our helper. In fact, there's a great old hymn. It goes like this. Oh, God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, our helper. Our God loves to help. He is a helper. God helps people basically who ask for help let her be in your notes through prayer. People who have a heart for prayer, people who have an attitude of prayer, people who have a life for prayer. Because people who pray, they're asking for help. They're looking for help. A praying people expect help. And our God loves to help. Especially those folks who are engaged in prayer. Now, I don't know where you are on this prayer thing, some of you right here. Some of you right now, you're kind of getting kind of, you're getting clammy. You just be mentioning the word prayer. This religious word. You're not if you're sure believe in God. Here I am talking about prayer. Some of you have a very, you would say, I have a disappointing prayer life. I prayed to God one time. I cried out to God. I was needing help. I didn't get the help I thought the way I needed it and when I needed it. And I, and Some of you feel guilty right now. Let me bring up the concept of prayer. You feel guilty. I know I ought, I hate that little word, ought to pray. I should pray. I make out the time to pray. I put it on my couch, but I just don't do it. I don't do it. And you bring it up, Pastor. I just feel even more guilty about not praying. And so I just don't, I'm not, I, I'm not doing it. Because you feel guilty. That's why I bother. Some of you are confused about praying. You hear people talking about having a prayer life. Man, I hear, man, they get up every morning, you know, at a certain time, they spend 10 or 15 minutes with God. It's just, they talk about having this intimate time, beautiful experience with God. They feel so close to God and everything. That never happens to me. I mean, in just a two minutes, you know, I find myself, my mind wandering. I don't feel God's presence. I start scrolling Facebook. I start making my grocery list out. I start looking for the next show I'm going to watch on Netflix over there and everything. And everybody, ha, <laughs> And maybe some of you, if you're honest, and I will tell you in worship, whether you're watching this in real time, online, or you watch it later on the week, in worship, in the house, wherever you are, being honest in the presence of God is always a good thing. If some of you were honest, you would say, I don't even believe in prayer. I mean, this idea of, of talking to someone that I can't see I'm not even sure if I believe in. It just doesn't make sense. So why would I do that? And if God is God, why would I tell God what I want God to do when God's already decided what God wants to do? God didn't need me to tell God. So why would I do it? Why would I ask God for help? Then there are some of you on the other extreme. You're saying, you know what? Prayer is the joy of my life. If I was to line you up here, you would give testimony. Pastor, I can tell you the time that I was in prayer, and I had this challenge in my life, and it was very rocky, and I felt a peace come over me. And I just know it was the power of prayer. Some of you could say, I'm a fearful person. 
I'm somebody who gets really gets nervous and anxious really quick. But because of my prayerful relationship with God, I have learned to have courage in the face of fear in spite of, and some of you, your people, you just pop off. I mean, you just kind of, you speak, you just say things, you're explosive. You just kind of, you just kind of explode. But you would say, you know what? Through the power of prayer, I've learned to have self-control. To listen instead of speaking so quickly. Now, wherever you are on this prayer deal, because we're all in different places on the prayer deal, I want to I show you in the Bible a story about the first time that I think, one of the first times that God teaches his people about the power of prayer and what it means to ask God for help, for God to help those who can't help themselves. And we're over here in, in, in Exodus chapter 17, and here's the setting. Israel had just been delivered from bondage out of Egyptian slavery. They're in the promise, they're in the, the desert, they're going to the promised land. And along the way, going to the promised land, this army comes down, the Amalekites, and they come and they start to attack them. And they don't know what to do. Because now all of a sudden, these group of people, this group of people, this nation, this people of God, who have been called to be a blessing so that the whole world will be blessed by them, their whole mission is being threatened. Their whole mission is being threatened. And so Moses, who is the leader... Make a note, Moses is the only person in Israel who had lived in Pharaoh's court. He grew up as an Egyptian, as an Israelite. He had military training and military strategy. He sends for his number two guy, Joshua, and says, we're going to have a strategic plan, a meeting on how we're going to win this battle. And so that happens. Now, when they get together and they have this meeting... And this is what he said. This is what's going to happen down here in verse 9. Here's the plan. Moses said to Joshua, you choose some of our men and you go down there in the valley and you fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow, I'm going to go stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. Now, the Bible didn't tell us what Joshua thought about the plan. But here's what I think. I think Joshua said, that's it. That's it. I mean, I thought we were having a strategy meeting. I thought there'd be a little more strategy here. <laughs> you know, I, I thought at least, Moses, uh, you were going to be like Mel Gibson and Braveheart and be at the very front and wave freedom. <laughs> you're going to go up to the top of the hill. That's all you're going to do. I'm going to do the fighting. Yeah, some plan. So the next morning, Moses starts to climb the hill, and he says to his brother Aaron, hey, Aaron, go get her. You come with me. I got some things. I'm going to have something for you to do. Now, Ur, H-U-R in the Bible, Ur is the son of another leader. His name is Caleb. And the word Ur, H-U-R, literally in the Hebrew means Liberty. How appropriate in the liberation of the slaves, her was going to be a part of it. And when I read this text, I always think of Abba Costello, that little baseball thing, who's on first, who's on second. You know, I don't know why my mind goes there when I see this. You know, I, I can just picture my mind where Moses says to Aaron, hey, Aaron, uh, go get her. Uh, you mean him? Yeah, I mean him. I thought, who's him? Him is her. 
I digress. I, I'm missing Major League Baseball so much. I just can't watch it, church. I'm just missing my passion for it so much. But I digress. So, but he's got a purpose for why he's going to take Aaron and her with him. But he goes to the top of the mountain. And when he gets to the top of the mountain, when you read the scripture, he raises his hands toward heaven. Now, I want you to read this later on, the rest of it on your own. The word prayer is never spoken in the text. Not once. Can't find it. You got to understand at this time in the history of the world, there was no Amazon where you could go Google and go get a, go find a book to read and learn how to pray. It wasn't there. The first five books of the Bible had not yet been written. They didn't exist. And Moses, it says, it doesn't even say a word. Very interesting. Maybe some of you are kind of like Moses. Maybe Moses didn't feel comfortable praying out loud because Aaron and her were going to be around. And he'd be embarrassed. Oh, I can't. What if I, what if I say something out loud to God? And they go, what was that about? Anybody else have that feeling? The Bible says that Moses said, I am slow of tongue. I'm slow of speech. So maybe no audible word came out of his mouth because he just didn't know how, didn't know what to do, didn't feel. But nothing. First, I want you to know something about prayer. Prayer is you not saying the right words. It's not you having these eloquent words come out. You have to sound all official and holy and wonderful. And what. Prayer is less about what you say and more about to whom you pray. Prayer is not dependent upon you. What you do is dependent on the one to which you say, help. And so in the story, well, you see what happens here is that Moses, he just very simply lifts his arm up to his body. He just, in a single act of the will, forces hands up to God without saying a word. His body, his body says, help. And amazing things happened. Help came. Help came from God. Power came from God. Power came from heaven. Power came from heaven to fight an earthly battle. And it was like an electric current. You can picture someone with their hands up high. It's just like, the, like a movie, a B-rated movie. Just shock, electricity, boom, power came into Moses, into him, through him, beyond him, down into that valley, into those little slave soldiers of Egypt who knew nothing about fighting. And they're fighting a sophisticated army, and they begin to win the battle. And they're fighting with such inspiration, they're thinking, I can't be whipped. We can't lose. We cannot be overcome. We got, they're so confident. Then when you read the story, Moses' arms, they begin to come down. And when his arms come down, just just his arms come down, their spirits go down. And the battle turns the other direction and the enemy begins to win. And Moses notices. He goes, oh. And maybe Aaron notices, and maybe her notices. I promise you, Joshua notices. He's doing the fighting. And Moses found the strength to raise his arms again. And when he raised his arms again, it's a symbol of help, God. 
the battle turned back in the directions of the Israelites again. Now, church, please, please understand this. Please understand. God has given you and me a physical picture of a spiritual reality. And here it is, point number two in your notes. Number two, we are made to live on, we are not made to live on our own power. We are made to live in dependence upon God. That is a truth in this scripture. That is a truth in this thing called the Bible. You are not made to live on your own power, but dependent upon God for God's power. Only God's power can give you the help that you need. This book, this idea is taught and taught and taught. So it's put in all through the Old Testament scriptures. Then in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, who totally depended upon the power of the Father for the living of his life. And then the church is born. And this idea gets spread throughout the world, and it's being spread right here through the body of Christ called Pathway Church this morning for someone to hear this. There was an alcoholic named Bill W., who was fighting a battle. And out of his stubborn pride, he refused to ask for help. His ego and the battles with the bottle. And at the lowest of the lows, when he knew he was losing the battle, out of desperation when he felt helpless and hopeless, Bill W. just raised his arms to God and said, help. And when he said help, the battle began to turn of sobriety and he began to get sober. But every time he took his arms down and said, I can do this by myself, he began to lose the battle again. And Bill W. Lover learned, and, and millions of others who have any sort of addiction of any kind, not just alcohol, but of any kind, that every day, if I begin my day saying, I depend upon the power of God to win this battle to get me through this day, they begin to win. God, help me, help me, help me. There's a battle. I have an enemy. There's something inside of me, and I can't do it by myself. I surrender. And when you surrender, it's the beginning of victory. But as long as you keep fighting on your own, I can do it. My ego, my pride, my work, I can fix it. You will fail. It is only by the power of God. And that's the invitation to somebody this morning. In your home in your marriage, in your parenting, young ones or old ones, in your finances, in your addiction, in your fear, to surrender. Years ago, when I got married, one of us in our marriage thought we had marriage all figured out. 
oneness in our marriage thought because our parents stayed married and had a healthy marriage that we knew more than the other one. One of us thought because we were young and we had people 15 years older coming and asking us about how to be married that they knew a whole lot more than they actually knew. And one of us had decided to give their life to helping people because people need help. And then one of us found out in the relationship that I don't have this intimacy thing figured out. I don't have this husband thing figured out. I don't have this parenting dad thing figured out. You know what? I need help or my family's not going to make it. So I went to a human counselor, and I got divine help. Saved my marriage, saved my family. I had to let go of my pride and my ego and my own strength. I just wonder who's hearing this this morning. Because if you don't get help, I can tell you what the outcome's going to be. Because you're not good enough and you're not strong enough to whip it and to figure it and to win that battle by yourself. You will keep whipping that battle and bumping up against the head and everybody around you is going to suffer. I want to real quickly here give you two truths. What's my time? I can do this. Two truths. Two truths. One for each arm about God. And if you, if you really get these two truths, I've learned this in my life, and I just want to share this with you in your head, in your spirit, in your soul. It's going to help you in every aspect of your life when you know this about God. And here's the first truth about God. Our God is able. Our God is able. I don't care what you ask him for, our God is able. How able is our God? He was able to speak the universe into existence with a single word. He was able to say, let there be light, and there was light. He was able to take these plagues to soften the heart of a Pharaoh, to say, let my people go. Our God is able. Our God was able when, when the Israelites found themselves with the enemy behind them and the Red Sea before them to part and to set them free. Our church, our God is able. In the middle of the wilderness, when they were hungry and thirsty, he brought manna from heaven and water out of a rock. He is able. He delivered Daniel from the dying's land. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace. Our God is able. Don't you doubt our God. He is able. And when the disciples found themselves on the water and the storm was so intense, they were scared spitless. With a single word, he made it as slick as glass. God is able. He took five loaves of bread and two little fishes and fed thousands of people. You don't think he can't take care of little old you? Our God is able. 
Our God is able to make the lame walk, the blind see, the deaf hear. He is able to bring a dead man back from the tomb. Our God is able. How able is our God? Paul put it this way. To the one who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ever ask or imagine. Get this. This thing, this statement is so full. You got that on the screen? Put it on the screen, please. If the Ephesians passage, put that on the screen. I want you to know that God is, is able to do what we ask. Not just what you ask. He's able to do more than you ask. Not just that. He's able to do all than more you can ask. Not only that. He's able to do all you can ask or imagine. Not only that. He's able to do immeasurably more than you can ever ask or imagine. Our God is able. Number two, letter B, our God is willing. You see, if our God is not willing to listen, and if our God is strong and mighty, but he didn't have a soft heart, who's going to call out to him for help? But our God is willing. How willing is our God? Our God is willing to count the number of hairs on your head. The scripture says he is willing to bottle up and keep all your tears in a bottle. Our God is willing. Our God is willing to listen to your groans, to listen to the blood that cries out from the ground, from the injustice and the violence of women and children who have been just destroyed. God listens. He's willing. He's willing to leave the 99 to go look for the one, to go look for you, to you one more, one more, one more, one more. God is willing, like a lovesick parent, to suffer, waiting, waiting for that prodigal daughter, that prodigal son, just to come home. Stop running from me, kid. Please, just come home. Our God is willing. And our God is willing to become one of us. <laughs> it's called the doctrine of incarnation. Where God in Jesus took on flesh and blood to become like you and me. You talk about willing to leave heaven and leave everything to come here to be like you and me. And the irony is Jesus teaches you and me how to ask for help as a baby. Baby Jesus turns to his mother Mary and says, Mama, would you help me eat? Would you help me get to bed? Would you help me, Mama? Would you help me tie the sandals to my Jesus, the master of the universe, the maker of everything, almighty God, ask his mama for help. And you don't think you're going to ask for help? I think it's pretty ironic when you're a baby, you got to ask your parents for help. And if a parent lives long enough, you wind up asking your kids for help. Help me tie my shoes. Will you help me get out of this chair? Will you help me get to the table? But in between, some of us think that I can do it by myself. I don't need any help. Until you do. And unless you do. Jesus, interesting, Jesus, he starts off as a baby, 
asking for help. And when he dies and he's carrying the cross, he can't even carry the cross. He asked for help from a man named Simon Cyrene to carry his cross for him. And you think you can carry your cross by yourself? Church, please hear this. Our God is willing, our God is able, and our God is ready right now. He is waiting for you to just ask for help. Maybe this morning you're going to do that. God, I need strength. I need strength to deal with this crisis, to deal with this issue in my life. God, I just need strength. Maybe for you this morning, God, I need patience. God, the kids, the people in my life, they're driving me crazy. I just, I just, I just need some patience, God. Maybe that's you. God, I, 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 just, I, just, I, just need, I just need the power to forgive. The bitterness, the resentment, the anger, I gotta have, I need some power, God. I need something, God, just to move beyond so, so I can forgive, so I can let it go, so we can heal, God. I'm, I'm needing some help here, God. Maybe for some of you, you know, God, I need some joy in my life. Could you give me joy? God, I've not, I've not been happy. I've not known joy in a long time, God. Would you help me, God, be more joyful? I don't know where you are. Maybe like Moses, you're so tired and you're so weary You can't even ask for help this morning because your arms, you have no strength even to hold your arms up to God. It's a pretty fascinating story. God took up Aaron and her with him for a reason. That when his arms began to collapse and he couldn't hold them up to God and he didn't know what to say or what to do or whatever, they came alongside him and just held his arms, held, held his arms up for him. Church, I've been there. I have been so downcast. I have been so lost. I have been so empty. I have been so tired and so weary in my life that I didn't know what to pray or how to pray. And I had some friends in my life. And I said, listen, I need your help. I need you to pray for me. I need you to hold my arms up and lift me up in prayer. And they did. And it was holy and sacred. It was humbling. But it was life-saving. And when that happens in the story... The battle down here gets won. But I will tell you, the battle was not in the valley. The battle was in Moses' spirit. That's where the battle was. The fighting, do I hold them, do I can't, that's where the battle was. And I will tell you, your battle is not out there. Your battle is in here. Your battle is not the person sitting next to you. Your battle is in your spirit. And so maybe this morning... You need to leave here thinking, I'm asking somebody to come alongside me to help hold my arms up because I can't do it by myself. We worship together. We grow together. We serve together. We hurt and we pray together. You can't do it by yourself. You will fail. I make you a promise, you will fail. 
So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask everybody to stand. I'm going to ask everybody to stand, please. If you're online in sanctuary, true worth if you can. If you can, I want to invite you to stand. And here's what we're about to do. I'm going to ask you to get rid of all your stubbornness right now. Lay down your pride. Lay down your strength. And either right here or right here, I want to invite you just to kind of take a moment of prayer and ask God for help. Either right here or right here. You don't have to say it. But in your spirit, just let God know where you need help. If you're married or you're dating someone, maybe you want to hold their hand and you raise your hands up together. And that's all you do. It's just a symbol. We need help. Your power. Maybe your body is failing. You're hurting. You had a bad diagnosis. You don't even know what to say to God. You just want to go. I mean, just. Maybe the job is so crazy, you're so overwhelmed with the pressure, you just want to quit, and you don't know if you can manage the situation any longer, but your family needs the income. You can't quit. And so, but you just need the power of God. You just go, help me, God. Whatever it is, please lay down your pride. Lay down your stubbornness. Lay down your arrogance in humility. Just take a moment right where you are. Just take a moment wherever you are. I lift my eyes up. I lift my eyes up. My help comes from the Lord. I see you. I lift my eyes up. My help comes from the Lord. Just lift it up to Him. Strong. 
Father, I pray you will continue the healing that you have started in this place this morning. Do it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you for joining us. If you would like more information on Pathway or to get connected to a ministry, visit our website at pathway.church. We look forward to growing with you as we worship together. God loves you. God is with you.